And welcome back to Single Malt Matters, the American Single Malt Whiskey Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drew, back again, as always, uh, with another cool guy. And before we even get into this, so you and I have actually just spoken in person for the very first time, voice to voice, about 10 minutes ago. Before, <laughs> yeah. But before we did that, I knew you were going to be a cool guy because in your branding, <laughs> you have... You show very prominently a Volkswagen Vanagon. And oh, yeah. first of all, is that yours? No, it's one of my best friends, unfortunately. I'm I'm currently driving a uh, a similar engine car. I have an old 911 that I just my daily driver, a, a 1990 uh, 911. But yeah, I I have a lot of respect and love for that uh, for that van as well. But I, it wasn't mine. It's not mine. It's my buddy's. <laughs> So, I, and I, I own my third one now. I've had three of these before. Oh, is that right? And I think based, just based on what I'm seeing on the pictures, I want to say it's a 1990 GL Wolfsburg edition in Titian Red. Yeah, that is a uh, band that my buddy Ron's owned for, well, actually, it's about the same length of time that I've owned my car, about 20 plus years. And he, he does all the work himself. He's a... Yeah, he's a bull sweat. He's a bug. He's a, a bus nut like it sounds like you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So, yeah, as soon as I started seeing your branding with that, I was like, oh, man, I want to talk to that guy. That's a cool brand. And and then oh, and then and that was I'll be honest with you. That was one of the first impressions I had. Um, uh, so now that we've been recording for a couple minutes, I'll go ahead and introduce you. Uh, Phil Downer, uh, owner, uh, founder and chief whiskey maker for Wanderback in Hood River, Oregon. <laughs> I should have yeah. I should have probably led with right. that, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know, but uh, that's right. That's who that's who I am. So that's right. so I started <laughs> I started seeing your branding and I saw I saw the vanning and I was like, "Oh, like cuz you're cuz yeah. that that's that's scratching all the itches right now." You know, like it's it's oh, it's good. good whiskey, it's single malt, it's Volkswagens, it's Vanagens. It's like, "Man, you're you're touching all the warm spots right there." So that was <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Those are some good ones. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, out of your day to get oh, together yeah. and chat with me. Um, for sure. Uh, we, you know, we're, we were kind of talking a little bit before uh, I started recording about kind of the, the background of the podcast and the fact that it's taking a little bit of a, of a different uh, direction um, from a formatting perspective. So that said, what I want to do with you, and there's a very specific reason why I want to talk with you, but one of the things that I want to do is above and beyond just kind of getting a better understanding of you, your background, uh, the impetus for starting Wanderback, uh, and, and also just talking about you know the brand a little bit more and kind of the zeitgeist behind uh, what you do and, and why you do it, I want to talk a little bit more about it in kind of a little bit more technical terms because it doesn't matter like even when I'm talking with Adam and Nora from from Lost Lantern um, they are they're blenders right they're they're independent bottlers but what they do takes a piece of the process that every distillery every traditional distillery does uh, and they apply their methodology to it in a very specific and precise and really super cool nerdy way. 
And so let's talk about, let's start with at the beginning with the origins of Wanderback, with, with your specific history. And then I want to talk about how you approach staging your brand the way that you do. So that said, I've, there, I've laid the groundwork for the, <laughs> for the whole thing. Uh, wow. And I know that's a ton. We're probably, I don't know, we, this, might, this might turn into four or five episodes. I don't know. I know you don't have that much time because it's a little bit later in the day. It's, it's okay, um, yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about, um, first of all, your background, your professional background, your history, and why wander back? Yeah, uh, so I have a science background. I'm actually um, a surgeon, uh, and I have had an interest in, um, well, cooking and food and beverages for uh, pretty much all of my adult life. And I moved to the U.S. Um, um, 20 years ago, 21 years ago now. And when we got here, uh, as a Canadian, um, the beer scene here was not very good, but it became good when we got here and, and, uh, the coffee as well. And, and, uh, I started cooking more. I've, I've, I have a young family and, and, uh, and so I just started to pay attention to these things and, and, uh, the beer especially was, you know, what I liked initially. And, and that led to, for various reasons, whiskey, uh, uh, through friends and, and travel and so on. And, and, uh, um, my background with whiskey was basically, you know, my family, my father, which wasn't very, you know, it wasn't very extensive or exotic, but, uh, um, the rise were mainly what I was exposed to younger. And then when I came here, it was mainly the bourbons because they were the, the more popular. And, and, um, and then one time I made a visit to a friend in Boulder, Colorado, and I tasted Stranahan's and I'd never tasted anything like it before. And, and, uh, it really started to turn a, a crank for me, and and um, we uh, we've owned a farm uh, in Hood River now, where the distillery is for seventeen years, and um, it, it's it was a cherry apple orchard for part of the land, and and uh, which we tried to do for a while, and and uh, didn't have uh, that much fun or success. It wasn't big enough, and the, the rootstock wasn't great. Um, so I was looking for a way to utilize the farm and do these things that I was interested in. And, and, uh, through research and digging, it became apparent that I could grow barley on the farm, uh, as you can, you know, grow barley in many places, but, um, it was a good place for that. And, and it also was a good climate for, for aging the type of whiskey I wanted to make. And, um, and I had these barns which uh some of them were falling down a lot and some of them falling down less uh and uh so it yeah the various things started to to happen i i, I started applying to the to the various regulatory bodies and getting some you know more yeses than no's and and uh and that was you know 13 to 12 or so years ago and and then um yeah, it, it, you know, so I went from there. I, I initially, I knew I wanted to make American single malt, start, you know, starting from my uh, exposure to Stranahan's and then and then others. And, and um, I I had to figure out a way of doing it. And, and uh, because of my circumstances, it became apparent that 
um, operating a distillery, uh, stills and, and uh, fermenting at the, at the farm would be extremely challenging unless I changed my job and moved my family um, permanently. And, and so I started looking for partners to make what I wanted to make. And I, had, I did a bunch of research myself on just barley and malts and, and uh, well, I had been doing research on beer and whiskey before that. But, and, and so I, I kind of had a, I had a sense for what I wanted to use. And, and then I found a partner, Westland, who were agreeable to do it for me. It was, it was kind of a very new thing back 10 years ago to, to approach a distillery with a grain bill and ask them to make it for you. But they, they did. And, and, uh, and we were off to the races 10 or so, nine or 10 years ago. And uh, we released our first whiskey batch one. Um, it's been five, six years now. And we're now on our fifth, fifth release. We release a batch every year uh we're increasing in size or volume that we release and uh we also have special releases founders reserve we call them single barrels typically um and we're focused on american single malt that's what we love that's what we want to do well and and uh we do nothing else uh and so yeah that's kind of in a nutshell a brief history um so there you go <laughs> and you know what the, the the crazy thing too is from a timing perspective I mean, that was just perfect because like nine, 10 years ago, Westland was just getting started too. they were American single malt wasn't wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a thing. Arguably, it really still isn't a thing yet. You know, <laughs> but like that long I ago, know. I know. And, and I was tasting and I was reading, you know, Chip T Tate and Balcones were around at that time. And, and uh, um, but no, there, there weren't many people. And, and so, yes, the timing was right. I, I, I had a, I had a potential partner to work with who were at a young enough stage and, and they were independent at the time and they were willing to work with us. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it was very, very, it was very good timing. And it also just took some legwork. Like I ran down one to, to meet, uh, the the founder of, of, um, Westland down in Denver at one of the ADI meetings. And, uh, I had a big night with him at the at the the night of the the judging, and uh, it turned out his grandmother was from this area, Gaspe Peninsula, in, in Canada, and almost because of that, we connected, and because of this great night we'd had together, and and because of that, he agreed to work with me. It was just like it was this crazy thing that happened. <laughs> well, and so, and so you actually have just touched on something that is kind of a recurring theme. Uh, in the podcast, and and that is the unique sense of community. Not, and this isn't just craft distilling yeah. because there is definitely a sense of community around craft distilling, but specifically in American single malts, there is, and I can't, I can't really put my finger on it, but it's different, it's unique, it's special, and it's really, really cool. Just the fact that. And it could be in large part because it really is, you know, if you look at the entire whiskey spectrum and everybody, everybody doing something in, in whiskey and craft whiskey, only a sliver of them are doing anything with American single malt still, even today when we were seeing more and more of it all the time, but, uh, but only a handful of them are doing American single malt. And I think that has a lot to do with it. It's just like, Oh, like we're 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 both wearing the same t-shirt so okay cool we've, we've got something unique and kind of cool in common so let's strike up a conversation and 
more often than not, that's going to go somewhere really cool. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I think uh, there's a bit of a selection bias there when you, when you have a group of people who are doing something that isn't being done already and making something that, you know, they're passionate about um, because of the taste really. And there's a heritage there, you know, elsewhere in single malt, other countries, but um, it brings together a group of people that are, that have similarities. You know, we all, we all are a bit quirky. We're a bit nerdy. We're somewhat science oriented or uh, have a bit of a science bent. And, um, and we want to make good, a good beverage, you know, that, that other people like. Um, and so that does create a, a community of, of similar people, you know, and, uh, and because we're doing something that really hasn't been done very much before, we're all starting out small and, uh, want to grow, you know, to varying different sizes. Um, so, but yeah, the, the characters that I've met, one of the reasons why I've kept with this model over the years of reaching out and working with these other distilleries is, is the characters that I meet. They're so fun. They're so interesting. They just have these amazing big personalities and you know whiskey drinkers in general have big personalities but american single malt producers from what i've seen so far are a real fun group of people (laughs) and and very interesting yeah uh and you know it's funny too uh you know we're talking about that aspect of the people in this space and just like how you and I were able to immediately strike up a conversation before I started recording. It's interesting. Some of the conversations I've had with some of my guests before and after the record button has been pushed. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some really interesting and I will go ahead and say it. There are some weird people in the space. And I think (laughs) that's, that's one of the things that I love about it. That's, that's why I love being a part of this is, is you never, you never know when you come across someone and you know, they're associated with the category or, or with a brand uh, that is well known, and some brands have different reputations. But it's interesting yeah. how how much and to what extent those people, in some instances, actually shape the persona of those brands. And that's that's one yeah. of the cool things I love about about having the podcast and talking to folks doing this is that oh, it bet. really becomes apparent, you know, how like 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 Jake Holshue at Rogue, right? Um, yeah. yeah, inarguably. One of the least subtle personalities you'll ever meet in your life, but you know I what? Know. The whiskey that he's making is reflective of that, and it's unapologetic, yeah. and it's it's big, and it's you know it, it yeah. it's it's Jake Holshue in a glass, and if you totally. know Jake Holshue, that's a really big glass. <laughs> totally, he, I know he's he's, he's going to kick my ass for saying that, but I love you, Jake. No, but it. It's true. Big people, big, big, or making big, big whiskey. And it, uh, you know, it, it typically takes a big person to make these types of beverages for sure. So one of the things that I don't, that I don't really ask, and I, you know, I, I was having a conversation with someone last week, uh, about the podcast and about kind of how I approach interviews and, and when I'm talking to guests. And one of the questions that came up is, why don't you ask people where they stand 
on the proposed standard of identity for American single malt. And I got to thinking about that a little bit. I think I think it's because I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious first of all on your on your position on it, but and because I'm going to go ahead and just kind of break that trend and and go ahead and ask you about that. But I think part of it is I have I have from time to time received pushback here and there, and by and large it seems it seems as though most producers in the space or most brands in the space are in favor of that standard. But the ones who aren't, man, they really aren't. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. so w what's, what's your feeling on, on, on that whole aspect of the category right now? Well, I think it's, I think it's good. Steve Hawley has been doing a good job there. I, I think that, uh, you know, there's so many things. I, I hate to talk about regulatory stuff because it's so freaking boring. But, um, I, you know, I I, uh, I think that we have to define who we are. And, and whenever you're putting a definition on anything that has uh, so many facets to it, you're going to miss the mark for some people and, and, uh, and not so much others. Uh, you know, I, I don't have big issues with the definition as it currently is being proposed. Um no, I, I, I think that uh, I look forward to a time when labeling colas are easier and, and uh, people don't, you know, it's, there's, there's not such there's some, not so many gray areas. Um, it makes it a little bit challenging for us to, you know, to stay within the lines or in the lanes of, of, of the regulatory, the TTB. Um, so, I, you know, I don't have any major issues with it. I think Steve's doing a great job. But, I, you know, the, the thing is, um, I would say whenever... Uh, a body like um, this American Single Mall Commission is driven by different individuals. Those individuals will come from entities typically that have differing uh, needs and differing uh, opinions and, and uh, you know, differing things, variables that have to go certain ways to make them successful that may be at odds with others. And uh, that's normal. That's, that's the same. That's for, the same for any industry. Um, so, but I do think that a formal definition is, is, is in order. And, uh, I think it will help us with legitimacy and, and customer awareness. And, uh, um, and that's what we need now. We need, we need more people in the U S to know that we're a thing and, and that we're trying to do something, uh, make a whiskey that has similarities to what they're used to the bourbons and rye's, but, uh, also has some have unique characteristics and, and levers that we're pulling that are that are unique and uh, and uh, I think that will be better for us. It'll help us grow the category. That's what we need to do is continue to grow the category. Yeah, I mean, and and, and from a consumer awareness educational perspective, even on the retailer side, it's difficult to tell people what you are when you're not exactly the thing that you're supposed to be and that you think you should be and that they're expecting you to be. And then, cause it's like that conversation takes on a whole different level of complexity because now you have to explain that whole process. Yeah. And, and yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, frankly, it's a, it's a big, it's a desk. It's a big disconnect for a lot yeah. of people right now. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm still hopeful that we can, uh, stop having this conversation here in the very near future. No, no, it's good. It's a good conversation, and I think that it's uh, it's good because you know the tools that we have right now to uh, educate the consumer are are fairly crude. You know, when we say that we are making a product, a whiskey that has similarities to 
you know, the typical American bourbon or rye, but also has similarities to the the Scotch or the Irish whiskey. Um, that all that by saying those words and those things, it, it sets up a, a, a you know people get a, an image in their mind or in their taste buds of what they're going to what they're going to get, and that can be good or bad. You know, I, I wouldn't want to go to somebody and say that I'm making something that has similarities to Scotch. Who you know, for somebody who swears off would never touch Scotch. You know, that would be unfortunate. Uh, and then you know, for 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 a European, if they're wanting to try us, I wouldn't want them. I wouldn't want to say that we're like a bourbon if they're not, if they don't like that category, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's, it'll be nice when we have more of a formal definition and we don't have to, you know, use those other terms that may have maybe somewhat negative, you know? So, but, uh, but yeah, this is an interesting time We're you know, I've been at this for a long time, 10 or, or so nine, 10 years. And we're still talking about the same things in terms of the commission that we were talking about back then, you know? So, um, I'm I'm amazed at, at how slow these regulatory things go. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's the TTB man. <laughs> they don't do anything fast. <laughs> like I know. I know. Uh, all right. I know. Enough of the regulatory <laughs> stuff. We're done with that. Let's put it behind us. Let's uh, let's get back to Wanderback. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about about the history of the distillery. I mean, we kind of talked about how you got things started. But walk me through, you just pushed out your fifth release, right? Yeah. Um, so kind of walk me through the process that, that has led you from that first release to this one. Yeah, so we, um, you know, initially I came up with the grain bill based on, you know, the whiskeys that I liked. As I, as I mentioned, I was really enamored by the uh, Stranahan's, the first releases they were making, and, and uh and but I loved you know there are some scotches I love I love Macallan the Macallan and I and I uh, you know there are some American whiskeys that I love some some bourbons and I so I really wanted to bring in all of those amazing things in, into our whiskey and make something that that tasted well tasted good with those with those various whiskeys as as examples and so our grain bill. Um, is one it's a it's all malted barley there's no corn or rye in it uh, or wheat it uh, it is made primarily with pale malt um, and uh, the specialty malts are malts that i chose based on you know some of those whiskeys the pale chocolate malt was something that i was interested in from the stouts and the brown ales and the mccallans and the, the glenmorangie signets and then you know, I like the Munich and the Crystal from, well, again, beer. Munich was one that was, I think, is still used in Stranahan. So that was very interesting for me. And um, so that that's where the grain bill came about. And so I approached Matt Hoffman and I talked to him about the grain bill I was thinking about. And, and he gave me some great advice. And, and we, you know, we talked about uh, ratios and percentages and, and, uh, um and and basically fell upon this grain bill that we've now used since then um and uh so we went down to to westland and walk you know walked with through with them the entire process of of, of buying our grain and and our and our yeast and our we talked about the way we were going to ferment and and then distill and and uh and um yeah we did that I, I still remember the days and and uh and then we sh we shipped it back they also were at the time we were facing a barrel shortage and uh 
I couldn't get full size barrels, the ones I wanted to. I wanted to start aging our whiskey in new oak, uh, in new oak casks. And um, at that time, for a small distillery that hadn't locked in a contract with uh, the big producers, I, independent stave company and so on, we couldn't get big barrels. So, But again, Westland, these guys sold us the barrels I wanted. I wanted a heavy toast, light char, new, new, uh, you know, a, a well-aged, uh, air-aged uh, barrel. And so we shipped that those barrels down to the farm. I I I still remember the day, and and uh, and so we aged it. And I, you know, I I learned and I talked and I I just we did that. And and uh, you know, it was one of those crazy things when you put something away in a container and you let it sit in a dark place for a long time, and you you have a pretty good idea it's going to be okay, but you really don't. And you taste it along the way and you, you think you know what you're tasting and you you know, you see what things go away over time and what things come out more over time and and lo and behold, at like two and a half, three years, I was like, Wow, I think this could be all right and I I, I sent it away and I let people have have a have a have it smell and see what they thought. And we released it, uh, when I thought it was mature and ready to go. And um yeah, it's a it's a batch one is a it's a special whiskey. It's not just because it was our first one. It's a it's a great whiskey, and and uh, it was super fun for me as a, as you know being so intimately involved with the whole all the steps from the beginning, even the regulatory stuff, to have this amazing whiskey to sell. Um, and then we just followed through. We just we were able to then work with Balcones. They agreed to work with us. I love their stuff. I've I've loved their stuff forever. I still do. And then, then, then Virginia has been the last distillery that we've been, uh, the latest distillery that we've worked with. And uh, <clears throat> we'll work with more, but I hope to work with these first three again over the years. Um, and uh, it's amazing what's changed. So the big thing, batches one to four, were all made at uh, Westland. Batch five is the first release from Balcones, the Lone Star collection, we call it. And, um, you know, the big difference is this, is this, the, well, the fermenters and the stills and the water. That's the big thing. Um, we're using golden promise as our pale malt in the, uh, batch in batch five, which is different from the, um, pale malt that we use for our first four. That's a Northwest pale malt. And, um, but the specialty malts are the same, but the stills are quite different. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the stills at Westland versus Balcones, but they're very, very different. The stripping or the, um, spirit still is a, is a bit of a crazy contraption that Balcones has. It's got a huge line arm that curls around the top of it. And, uh, and you can really oh, yeah. tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And and so if you compare batches one to four to batch five, there's a, you know, there, there are definitely their cousins, they're related. Um, but there are some pretty significant differences. And, and that, that is, that is primarily due to the, the, the stills. And, and that's what I want to do. I want to highlight these differences and, and what difference they make um, because the aging, you know, these were done in different years and different climates, uh, but not massively different. The barrels were the same. I started out with new American oak casks for all those releases, but then I, I finished them in different casks, typically um, ex bourbon, but also in those other releases, two, three, two and three, we used uh, ex rum and ex port uh, wine casks for finishing. And, um, yeah, they're very different whiskeys, but they start out pretty similar apart from the stills that are used. So talk to me a little bit more about developing the relationship with 
those partners with with Westland and with Balcones. Uh, how how does the conversation start? How does that relationship get initiated? And and what does that <clears throat> partnership really look like? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. The conversation differs or well differed be, depending on our on our age. You know, when I was talking to Westland. I didn't have a whiskey on the shelf. I just had my, my distillery permit. I, I was so new. I, I knew so little at that time, just what I'd read. You know, I did the, uh, I did the brewing and distilling course uh, at, um, in Edinburgh, Scotland at, uh, oh, shit, I forget the name now, the um, university. Harry Watt? Yes, Harry Watt, exactly. <laughs> it was so long ago. I spent an amazing time with those guys and learned a ton, but still I was all book knowledge. I hadn't done anything practically myself. And so that conversation was very different than when I went to, you know, Jared Helmstead and those guys at Balcones. And I was like, Hey guys, look, I've done this. How did you like this? And actually that's kind of how the conversation started. They were like, you know, we like this. And, and I was like, well, I really like what you're doing. And, and so would you mind doing kind of this sort of thing for me? <laughs> And uh, because I had a history, that was a very, that was a different conversation. And then with Virginia, that was sort of another evolution where I was like, you know, if I can get these guys, Virginia, they're so good. And, and, and we, if we could work with them, it would really legitimize this model that I've, you know, sort of taken out of the air. It wasn't like I had a, another distillery. I don't even know if there is one now that does what we're doing, where we work with these various malt, single malt producers to make our grain bill. It's kind of an, an odd thing to do, but um by the third time we were we were talking to Virginia now for this third partnership, again it was a very different conversation. We had a history then. We were legitimate. We were on the market, you know. And and uh, and at that time, then we're we're talking more like, look, we if you scratch our back, we can scratch your. We can help you. We can raise your awareness by being our partner, and you can raise your awareness as well by you know we're a Northwest company and we have a thing going. So. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny how these things go. They're all about relationships, partnerships, how we can help each other, and it's it's uh, it's really fun. It's super. It's really fun. It's it's you know it's it's a lot nicer than doing it myself in a dark room and not having anybody else to talk to it about. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, talk about your production process. How how does that work uh, with your your partner distilleries? Yeah, so we talk to them about what they can do, when, uh, how we can fit into their schedule. We get the pro we get our malt and then so on shipped there. We decide on a on a, on a ferment fermenting uh, week and then distilling a few days, and uh, we go down typically for various stages of it. Um, and then once we've uh, once we've got once we have our new make. We ship it back to the farm, uh, typically in totes. Now we did the barrels initially, but with the bigger volumes, we're using totes, and we ship it back. Ship it back from wherever it is to the farm in Hood River, Oregon, and there we, um, and there we, uh, after we've decided what barrels we're going to start with, uh, we transfer it to barrels and we put it in the place in the barn where we've decided. And then we go through the aging uh, process. Um, we, we sample, we test. We typically don't start sampling much until the, the weather warms up in the spring. We Are you familiar with Hood River? You must be familiar with Hood River, like the, the, the place and the climate and so on, are you? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it's a, what a bummer of a place to have to be, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. It's such an amazing place. I, I discovered it 20 years ago with friends bringing me down there to start to learn how to do the water sports. And I've just, yeah, I've fallen in love with the place. Some of my best friends are there. And, and uh, you know, so we ship it back there and it has an amazing climate for aging whiskey. It's, it's you know, we get into the 90s in the summertime and it's pretty hot, um, but not crazy hot and certainly not humid. And then in the wintertime, we'll have two, three months with a bit of snow on the ground. And so it gets fairly cold. And where we're aging, we have this barn with three floors. It's a classic red barn. And um, we, have a, we have various microclimates in that barn that we utilize to, you know, slow things down or speed things up. And, and um, so it's a really perfect place. And so we, we, we ship the new make back there. We transfer it to barrels. And then we, you know, we start scheming on how we're going to shepherd this thing along until it's ready to go. And um, yeah, we use a we use a mix of new, new and used oak. Um, it's all it's all American oak casks, um, white oak, and and um, and so yeah, we've used the batch one was all new oak, but we've had uh, future since since then. Well, batch five is all new oak, but the other releases two, three, four, uh, and Founders Reserve typically spend time in a cask that has uh, either housed bourbon commonly or the other the other uh, spirits that I mentioned and that's where we're going to end things for this episode the first of two with Phil Downer founder of Wanderback in Hood River Oregon next time though we're going to start to get a little bit more specific about his process yeah that's a really really good question and I've never been asked before but it's a fundamental key to what we do at Wanderback Head over to the website for show notes and links to this and every previous episode and click on the contact page to send feedback or suggestions on topics for future episodes. The web address, of course, asmwpodcast.com. And I know I don't really ask, but if you do have a second, please give the podcast a five-star review to help its rankings. Thanks again so much for hanging out and listening to the podcast. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And remember, no matter what anybody tells you, the best whiskey is the whiskey you like to drink and the way you like to drink it. Until next time. <laughs>